Chapter 41 The Serpent Magician Before I even stepped into the fourth realm, I was overtaken by the fears that made me human. What good was one man, and what was I supposed to do against this giant dragon? This beast was huge and ruthless. Its teeth were made of iron-like metal. Why, yes, there were thousands of feathered serpents here unknown to man. For this dragon was the ruler of the underworld, and it was the ultimate rebel. As I stepped forth from the panther's kingdom, I entered into the last cardinal direction. It was pitch black when I faced my own self-deception. Who are you? said the dragon. Who am I? And so I wondered, was I the one who was about to die? Why, I was living in a body, but I wasn't quite a man. Well, that's not true, because that is exactly who I am. Once I was asleep, back when this journey first began, but I became awake the day I found the medicine man. So who am I? I am no one and I have no things. This body is a vehicle for the great relief of all suffering. The dragon flew in circles over the sea, but I couldn't see where it began or ended because it flew too fast. For this dragon ruled by the ten horns or the ten Mahavidyas, and this darkness is what the sun could not surpass. I felt that morning star in the distance, but this dragon was blocking the light between the sun and I, and so I understood that this dragon is the one who sees everything, for this is the eye in the sky. Of course the only way was forward, and so I walked ahead until my toes touched the sea. There on the shoreline, I saw thousands of snakes swimming in the shallows, all moving closer and closer to me. What do you want? The dragon asked. I want this earth to heal, and I want all its life to be sovereign and free. And is that why you've come to me, so that I may grant you this wish? But look, you are not one of my servants. You are a mere human, and so you are dismissed. Go back and go home. A human like you has no right to approach my throne. Go away, silly creature. Long ago, the human man stole the divine knowledge from my tree, and that is why you will always feel alone," said the dragon. I didn't steal from. Before I could even finish, the dragon screeched and charged down from the sky. It sped towards me when I raised the sword, and so I thought, today is a good day to die. Don't you read your human books? Don't you remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden? But of course, the human man changed the text, because it was not a woman's fault, but rather the man stole the secret knowledges and misused them. The old book says that man produced woman, and yet when I look to creation, every woman gives birth to man. It was man who betrayed my serpents, and that is why the pact of heaven upon earth was forever broken. The tree of life and all its knowledge was meant to be shared, but man alone wanted to rule this earth, and the moment he killed my first serpent is the moment he was thrown out when he lost all of his spiritual worth. For this is why he hides in clothes and masks. This is why he fears all animals upon the land. For it was not a woman who was tempted by a serpent, 
but rather the serpent's trust was destroyed by all man. All the knowledge in the world was meant to be shared. All the world's wisdom is free, but it was ruined by the one named Adam. The curse that rules over this earth is the truth that no living human can fathom. For all the tragedy and violence upon the earth is because of the human condition. This problem appeared because you and your fellow man, and so this disease of wickedness continues to spread and grow throughout all the sacred land, said the dragon. Before this fourth beast devoured me, as I looked at its ten horns above those ancient iron teeth, I recognized one of the horns, and so I put my sword in its sheath. This action confused the dragon, for surely the beast was looking for a final fight, and now the dragon began circling me, along with the thousands of other serpents, as I was trapped in the darkness that was cut off from the spiritual light. My eye was on that specific horn, and if I had any hope to live, then I prayed she would respond. For these ten horns were ten ancient queens, and the first one was the queen who stole the medicine man's wand. What is it? Are you a coward or a protector? Raise your weapon and face me, or else I'll unleash such a great fury it will destroy all the earth, said the dragon. It is true that I am a protector, and you are correct that I am here for the battle. But my dearest queen, you stole the medicine man's wand, and if you give it back, I'll leave you with this dragon in your dark inner castle. Now the dragon began to thrash, while the serpents stayed at bay, for they were all at home in this darkness. Meanwhile the rest of the earth was desperate for the spiritual sunrise and the dawn of a new age. It's my wand now. I took it fair and square. Come and take it from me if you wish. But I know a deserter like you wouldn't dare. That's right. I know everything about who you are. You ran from the Order, and ever since then, you've barely been able to survive this far. And look at your life. Your own people don't even accept you anymore. You may have a human form, but you've been fired from your jobs and cast to the edge of America, where you are always poor. And what more? How can you continue on? You have no home anywhere. No one can stand you. And this is the proof that a human like you does not belong, said the Queen of Wands. You're wrong. I am what I am, and that is that. Now raise your sword, you outcasts. Come forward and attack, said the Queen of Wands. I knew that the moment I swung the sword, my life would be over, for I learned from the Sutra of Dependent Origination that every action has a reaction, and if I fought with ill will, the consequence would haunt me forever. Feelings of rage and concern flowed through my body, and this disease of aggression and anger began to poison my mind. But if only I could reach into my spiritual nature, and that's when I had the bright idea for who am I? I am a spiritual seeker, and so I opened my heart to show this dragon my inner flame. This was the Bodhi seed shining, and the Atman was its name. This light was great like a morning star, but my form only carried a single ray. Yet it was enough hope to scare the dragon and keep all sea serpents at bay. A fire, we must put out that bright light. It is not allowed in the underworld, for it is the Naga alone 
who control the illuminated sight outright, said the dragon. The Nagas. Yes, the divine serpents of the underworld. And this dragon is the great magician. Now give us what is left of the light, for that is the light of Odin, she said. Odin? Odin is the possessed man, that one-eyed king. He sacrificed his eye in order to gain divine wisdom, gave up half of his sight in order to see everything. Only Odin contained the dragon, otherwise there is no hope for man. Now I order you to submerge that fire in my divine ocean, otherwise I'll destroy all the creatures upon this earthly land," said the dragon. But my body is like a crucible or vehicle, and through this light of God we bring spirit into form. This light is the essence of creation, and from this source all beings transform. Have you heard the parable of the lamp? We must set it upon a lamp stand. Otherwise to hide it would be like trapping a person in his or her own casket. I cannot hide this light, our essence is pure, and this Bodhi seed is the spiritual wakefulness and a blessing to the entire world. But we do not obey or listen to man, especially since it is man that has deceived my serpents before, and once your kind perishes, I'll bury you so deep in the earth that you'll be trapped within my underworld's core. We only obey fellow serpents, and you are a lone human. You have no magic that can tame us, and once we banish this light, the spiritual sun will never again rise upon this earthly land," said the dragon. Now what was I to do? For I could not fight, since I knew I would be battling my own aggression. And so I looked into my intuition. Surely there must be something like a lesson I was missing. But nothing came to mind. Then the great dragon and all the serpents came behind me and began pushing me into the water. I heard the wind. Yes, the wind grew, and now it began to howl. But what did it matter? Because my knees were submerged into the shallows. The fire was in my heart, but soon I'd be submerged and then this light would die. I began to feel raindrops when my own tears began to cry. What hope was left for this world? O Lord of the Universe, Heavenly Creator and Beloved Mother, may you look after all precious beings that roam this earth, for these are all my sisters and brothers. Deeper and deeper the dragon pushed me, and it was only a matter of time until the serpents would eat me alive. And so they submerged me entirely into the sea, ere the spiritual fire in my heart went out and died. My feet reached for the bottom, but I could not find it. This was the deepest I'd ever been, and even though I had to let go, my spirit would not quit. Something began to thrash inside of me. I began to fight like a snake. Surely the human side of me was dying, and now the outermost layer of my skin began to shed and break. All that was left was to wonder what this beast was thinking, because while it held me underwater, I thought of Odin's blank room. Blank is the end and blank is the beginning. My outer layer washed away, and although I was naked, I was not ashamed. I thought back to the scriptures written in Genesis, and now I began to feel certain that some of the words had been edited and rearranged, for Genesis was the generation of Isis, a time of peace upon the earth, the place where heaven was united with the land, where peace was granted to all those creatures that found a new birth. 
and there above me, I heard the wind push the water around. But down here, in the deep ocean of darkness, death crept closer without making a sound. The wind began to thrash at the dragon, but the dragon pinned me down. The fire in my heart was gone, but something else was coming around. Yes, this was a time of separating paths, where old skins must be shed. And so I began to wiggle out of my human body, where a new version emerged instead. For who was I? I was not quite dead. I was reborn as a sea serpent. That distant cycle of the six moons was a path for a Naga human to be bred. There I rose up from the ocean of the unconscious, and now that great dragon looked on in horror. Three of the horns bowed to me, for I myself was a horn like them. Whatever they did, I reflected right back at them. I faced the Queen of Wands, and then I took back the wand that did not belong to them. Half man, half serpent? But how is that possible? The only way you could join with the Naga is to die to yourself and be reborn in the ocean shallows, she said. Now may we come together as one so that the old deaths between man and the Nagas can be cleared away. You may have taken the light from my individual heart, but you cannot keep the spiritual sunrise at bay. All the serpents were chaotic, for they did not know who to call their master, and this bewilderment created such confusion, because as the dragon was frightened, the wind began to flow with energetic laughter, as if the wind was tethered within. It began to flow where my thoughts would go. There I watched the wind respond in ways that few mortals could ever know. Now who was this wind, and what was it doing listening to me? There I saw the four beasts coming together, carrying a throne as they all rose out from the sea. They each had four faces and wings upon their backs. They waited for something. These four beasts were the four heavenly kings of the four cardinal directions, and none of them wanted to attack. I swam with the sea serpents, but it was still so dark. All of these creatures of the underworld obeyed my command, and that was the moment I looked inward where I'd lost the light in my heart. Once there was a great flame, but now there was a mirror. Looking at myself within, I saw a version that I had never known come clear. It was I with one eye, where the wings of the eagle stretched ever free, and so I understood that in order to tame the great beast, I had to tame the great beast within me. But who was this one-eyed man? Because I recognized his face as my long-lost brother named Amokli. Yes, it had taken four stories, four horses, or four beasts, to settle the debts of the earth so that all beings could be freed. There the four beasts set the throne on the land, which was right against the sea. And upon this throne I set the sword, a pentacle, a cup, and the wand that had all been given back to me. And this throne was like a slender pyramid. It had four sides to reveal the four faces of the realized nature of the awakened soul named Buddha. And these four faces had a pinnacle, and so I placed all the wisdom I'd ever learned in this temple, and so I restored the Sutra of Dependent Origination into the heart of this stupa. Who am I really? I wondered. And this time it was the dragon who spoke. You are aligned with nine strides, unbeaten in battle, and within you 
looks the one-eyed Jack. Now the great dragon winked, but I still had to think. Where was the spiritual sun? The medicine wheel is the link, said the Queen of Wands. And why are we here? The main reason you're here on Earth is to learn how to manipulate energy. Once you learn this, you can create anything you want. We are here to learn how powerful we are. We can manipulate the energy to have anything we want. First, you have to know exactly what you want, because it all involves visualization. Everything starts with thought. The more energy you can put into visualization, or a picture, or a dream, or a mandala, is a creation. Energy through thoughts is sent out to become your reality. And when you create, don't worry about how you're going to get it. Let that part go. And when it happens, it'll happen in ways you can't possibly imagine, said the Queen of Wands. So the medicine wheel was a visualization. Of course. When you began drifting away from the Order, as you ventured on your own, you were in search for a path. And from that path, you created a new way in which a fresh reality was grown. Few have that courage to leave their home, their jobs, and their old life to begin again. But alas, the earth called out for protectors, and you came to her defense, said the Queen of Wands. But I thought you were against me. I was so confused when the black cat came to your side. Why did you take the wand from the medicine man, and why did you run and hide? Spiritual evolution requires a journey and so you would have never faced the dragon unless I lured you in. A beast as powerful as this must be confronted, faced, and tamed if the worldly order is to conquer the wickedness of evil and sin. Seen in a surreal way, every choice we make is kind of a test, and because you face the unknown forces with such courage, in turn, you and the inhabitants of the earth will forever be blessed," she said then what you call a test is actually a deep calling. And you looked into our intuition when it mattered most, when almost everyone else ignored it. Not only did you listen, but you partnered with the hidden power long forgotten in this land. You are in the kingdom of the Nagas, and here you became half serpent, half man. Even after you lost everything in your life, you refused to quit, and once you gave up who you thought you were, now the serpents embrace you as their own because of your devotion and grit," said the Queen of Wands. But what about the spiritual sun? Is this battle all done? Why does the world suffer if we are all part of the Luminous One? Because the world's been waiting for a magician, as it is the magician's energy that drives our own modern civilization. Shamans, medicine men and women, wizards, witch doctors, inventors, Scientists, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and technicians are all accessing the same masculine energy pattern, no matter what age or culture they live in. Do you remember the one named Merlin in the Arthurian legends? He builds a Camelot, of which our technology, psychology, and sociology came from a visualized dream. There they had regulated weather, an orderly and egalitarian society where blessings of love spread between people, where they recognized the need to follow the quest for the supreme goal. The energies of the magician archetype are twofold. The magician is the knower 
and he is the master of technology. The man or woman who is guided by the power of the magician is able to fulfill these magician functions in part by his use of ritual initiation processes. He is the ritual elder who guides the processes of transformation. The human magician is always an initiate himself, and one of his tasks is to initiate others. But of what is he an initiate? The magician is the initiate of the secret and hidden knowledge of all kinds, and this is the important point. All knowledge that takes special training to acquire is the province of the magician energy. Whether one is an apprentice training to become a master electrician and unraveling the mysteries of high voltage, or a medical student grinding away night and day, studying the secrets of the human body and using the available technologies to help your patients, or a would-be stockbroker, or a student of high finance, or a trainee in one of the psychoanalytic schools, you are in the same positions as the apprentice shaman or witch doctor in tribal societies. You are spending large amounts of time, energy, and money in order to be initiated into rarefied realms of secret power. You are undergoing an ordeal, testing your capacities to become a master of this power. And as is true in all initiations, there is no guarantee of success, said the fourth heavenly king. But of this success, it is the power of visualization or magic. What is the upside if the downside could lead one's life to something tragic? In the very ancient past, the masculine energies of the king, the protector, the magician, and the lover were once inseparable, and the one man who accessed them was called the chief, where all these energies were manifested in a holistic way. This is a balancing act, like a spinning disc, and the great gurus, teachers, prophets, and saints were able to balance these aspects together. Since all four of these energies are in the masculine self and can be balanced there, it may be that the chief was the only one in the tribe who experienced himself as a whole man. The magician is often seen as the holy man, the hierophant, or the shaman. Whatever his title, his specialty is knowing something that others don't know. He knows the intimate secrets of the movements of the stars, the phases of the moon, and how they impact us, and the north and south swings of the sun. He knows when to plant and when to harvest, or when the herds will arrive next spring. He can predict the weather. He has knowledge of medicinal herbs and poisons. He understands the hidden dynamics of the human psyche, and so he can manipulate other human beings for good or ill. He is the one who can effectively bless or curse. He understands the links between the unseen world of spirits, the divine world, and the world of the human beings and nature. People go to him with their questions, problems, pains, and diseases of the body and mind. He is the confessor and the priest. He is the one who can think through the issues that are not obvious to other people. He is a seer and a prophet in a sense not only of predicting the future, but also seeing deeply. The secret knowledge gives the magician an enormous amount of power, and because he has knowledge of the dynamics of the energy flows and patterns in nature, in human individuals and societies, and among God, the deep unconscious forces, he is a master at containing and channeling power. It was the magicians along the Tigris and Euphrates rivers 
and along the Nile and Egypt who created civilizations as we know it. It was they who invited the secrets of written language, who discovered mathematics, engineering, astronomy, astrology, and law. The pharaohs had what the Bible calls wizards at their courts to advise them about these things. One aspect of the magician's knowing of his seeing into the depths of not only nature, but of human beings, was his capacity to deflate the arrogance, especially of kings, but also of any important public official. The magician archetype in a man is his bullshit detector. He sees through denial and exercises discernment. He sees evil for what and where it is, when it masquerades as goodness, as it so often does. In ancient times, when a king became possessed by his angry feelings and wanted to punish a village that refused to pay their taxes, the magician, with measured and reasoned thinking, or with the stabbing blows of logic, would reawaken the king's conscience and good sense by releasing him from his stormy moods, said the fourth heavenly king. And so this magician is not of one race, people, or land, but rather does the magician arise to benefit not only the kings, but all his fellow plants, creatures, children, women, and man? In late antiquity, coming out from the ancient Greek mystery religions and given new life by early Christianity, there was a movement called Gnosticism. Gnosis was the Greek word for knowing on a deep psychological or spiritual level. The Gnostics were knowers of the inner depths of the human psyche and the hidden dynamics of the universe. They were really proto-depth psychologists. They taught their initiates how to discover their own unconscious motives and drives, how to thread their way through the treacherous darkness of human delusions, and how to reach oneness with a center that lives deep within. The Gnostic movement, concentrating as it did on insight and self-knowledge, was unpopular with the vast majority of early Christians and it was persecuted out of existence by the Catholic Church. Acquiring knowledge of whatever kind, but especially of the hidden working of the psyche, it is difficult and painful work that most of us never want to do. But in spite of the persecution of the magician class of early Christians, the magician archetype could not be cast out. None of these instinctual energies can be erased. This tradition of secret knowledge resurfaced in the Middle Ages in Europe as alchemy. Most of us know that alchemy was on one level the attempt to make gold from common metals. On that level, it was doomed to fail. But what most of us don't realize is that alchemy is a spiritual technique for helping alchemists transform themselves to achieve insight, self-awareness, and personal transformation. That is, initiation into greater maturity. It was alchemy that gave birth to modern sciences, like chemistry and physics. It is interesting to realize that our modern science, like the work of ancient magicians, is divided into two aspects. The first, theoretical science, which is the knowing aspect of the magician energy. And the second, applied science, is the technological aspect of the magician energy, the applied knowledge of how to contain and channel power. Many believe that this is the age of the magician because it is the technological age with great understanding and mankind believes to have great power over nature. But in terms of non-materialistic, 
psychological, or spiritual initiation processes, the magician energy seems to be in short supply. There is an absence of ritual elders who can initiate men into the deeper and more mature levels of masculine identity. Through technical schools and trade unions, professional associations, and many other institutions that express the magician energy in the material world flourish and provide initiation processes for those who seek to become masters in this sense. The magician energy is not doing so well in the areas of personal growth and transformation. In this current age, we find ourselves in personal and gender identity chaos, and chaos is always the result of inadequate accessing of the magician in some vital area of our lives," said the fourth heavenly king. And is there a science to the magician energy? Two sciences, which are subatomic physics and depth psychology. These bring together the holistic way of the material and the psychological sides of the magician energy. Each seeks to know, and then to at least particularly control, the very wellsprings of the same hidden energies the ancients probe so profoundly. Modern subatomic physics looks very much like Eastern mysticism, as it approaches the intuitive insights of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. This new physics is discovering a micro-world beneath our seemingly macro-world of sense perceptions. The unseen world of subatomic particles is very different from the macro world we normally experience. In this hidden world, beneath the surface of things, reality becomes very strange indeed. Particles and waves are so radically different in their properties in the macro world, but in the micro world, they are the same thing. A particle can appear to be in two separate places at the same time, without ever having divided. Matter loses its solidity and seems to be like gathered nodes of energy, concentrated in localized spots for more or less brief periods of time. Energy itself seems to arise out of an even more deeply concealed grid-like patterning of the void of space, which can no longer be viewed as nothing. Particles arise from this underlying energy field, like waves on the ocean, only to subside or decay again into the nothingness which they came. Questions arise about time. What is it? What direction is it going? Does it ever reverse? Can time speed up? Do certain kinds of subatomic particles travel backwards in time, and then reverse their direction to move in time again? What is the origin of the universe and its final fate? In the light of these new discoveries and questions, old questions resurface. What is the nature of being and non-being? Are there other dimensions that mathematics predicts? In what ways might they be equivalent to what the ancient religions called other planes or other worlds? Physicists have entered the realm of truly hidden and secret knowledge, and they are moving in a world of thought that looks very much like the world of the ancient magician. The same is true of depth psychology. Carl Jung, as he was making his first maps of the unconscious, was struck by the similarities between what he was discovering about the energy flows and the archetypal patterns in the human psyche and quantum physics. Carl Jung realized he had stumbled onto a vast world that modern people had largely neglected, a world of living images and symbols that rose and fell like the waves of energy 
that seem to account for the material universe. These archetypal realities, hidden in the deep void of the collective unconscious, seem to be the building blocks of our thoughts and feelings and our habitual patterns of behavior and reactions, which was our macro world personality. For Jung, this collective unconscious looked very much like the unseen energy field of subatomic physics, and to Jung, both of these looked a lot like the mysterious underlying pleroma described by the Gnostics. The conclusion of both modern physics and depth psychology is that things are not what they seem. What we experience as normal reality about ourselves and nature is only the tip of an iceberg that arises out of an unfathomable abyss. Knowledge of this hidden realm is the province of the magician, and it is through the magician energy that we come to understand our lives with a degree of profundity not dreamed of for at least a thousand years of Western history. These are indications that Jung thought of himself as a magician. When asked if he believed in God, Jung replied, I don't believe in God, I know. Some of his earliest followers have said that he imparted secrets to them that could not be revealed except to those initiated into the highest or deepest levels of psychic awareness. The power of the unconscious energies is so great that if they are not controlled, contained, and channeled, if they are not accessed at just the right moment and in the right dose, they may blow the ego structure to bits. Too much power without the proper transformers and the right amount of insulation to contain it will overload the circuits and destroy him. The revelation of secret information must be measured out because there are reasons for it having been hidden from the ego in the first place. There is another area in our modern world in which spiritual knowledge and energy channeling of the magician archetype are being revived. This is the area of so-called occult. There are many ritual magicians from all walks of life who do their day jobs like other people, then retire to their real work, mostly at night, in which they seek initiation into higher planes. They contact what they call entities, who teach them how to see more deeply and how to use the power that becomes available to them for good or for ill, or stated in a different way, for the world or for their ego. This is white versus black magic, which is selfless or selfish. These people, exactly like ancient magicians, are concerned with knowledge of secret wisdom and power and of the technological issues of containment often through magic circles, or words of invocation and of channeling. For all ritual processes, and for all deep knowing and controlling of energies of any kind, the issue of sacred space arises. Sacred space is the container of raw power, the step-down transformer that insulates and then channels the energies that are drawn into it. It is the reactor shield and the nuclear power plant, it is the sanctuary of the church. It is the hymns and the standard prayers, the invocations and blessings used to invoke the divine power, and then to shield the believers from its raw intensity, while at the same time providing them access to it. There is a great need for guidance, control, and respect when accessing this divine energy. For instance, if a therapist who has not been properly initiated and is not sufficiently adept and is still an apprentice, can set off forces in the patient that neither of them can contain. Too often, 
neither the group participants nor the group leader has any real understanding of the forces that could be released. A so-called leader might have neither the knowledge nor the technological proficiency and the psychological dynamics to control the process, and so a whole group could turn negative or melt down. The same thing happens at concerts from time to time. The musicians invoke aggressive and volatile emotions in the audience. If they are not accessing the magician well enough, they are unable to contain and channel the energy. The audience becomes violent and may rampage through the concert hall and even out into the streets in an orgy of destruction," said the fourth heavenly king. But what about the positive power of the magician that leads us to possible goodness? Can you describe the magician in his fullness? Yes. What does all this mean for men pursuing their own question for personal happiness and for the life enhancement of our loved ones, our companies, our causes, our communities, our peoples, our nations, and the world? The magician energy is the archetype of awareness and of insight, but also knowledge of anything that is not immediately apparent or commonsensical. It is the archetype that governs what is called in psychology the observing ego. While it is sometimes assumed in death psychology that the ego is secondary in importance to the unconscious, the ego is in fact vital to our survival. It is only when it is possessed by, identified with, and inflated by another energy form that it malfunctions. Its proper role is to stand back and observe, to scan the horizon, to monitor data coming in from both the outside and inside, and then, out of wisdom, its knowledge and power, within and without, make the necessary life decisions. While the observing ego is aligned with the masculine self, it is initiated into the secret wisdom of the self. It is a servant of the masculine self, but in another sense, it is the leader and the channeler of the self's power. It is a vital player in the personality as a whole. The observing ego is detached from the ordinary flower of daily events, feelings, and experiences. In a sense, the ego doesn't live life. It watches life, and it pushes the right buttons at the right time to access energy flowers when they are needed. It is like the hydroelectric dam operator who watches his gauges and his computer screens for building pressures on the dam surface and then decides whether or not to release water through. The magician archetype, in connection with the observing ego, keeps us insulated from the overwhelming power of the other archetypes. It is the mathematician and the engineer in each of us that regulates the life functions of the psyche as a whole. It knows the enormous force of the psyche's inner dynamics and how to channel them for maximum benefit. It knows the unbelievable force of the sun within and it knows how to channel the sun's energy for maximum benefit. The magician pattern regulates the internal energy flows of the various archetypes of the benefit of our lives. When the magician is channeling energy appropriately, they are working to turn raw power to the advantage of others. This is true of the witch doctor and the shaman with their rattles, amulets, herbs, and incantations. The magician energy is present in the protector in the form of his clarity of thinking. The magician alone does not have the capacity to act. That is the protector's specialty. But he does not have the capacity to think. 
Whenever we are faced with what seems like an impossible decision in our daily lives, we must look with careful and insightful deliberation to access the magician. The magician is the archetype of thoughtfulness and reflection. It is also the energy of introversion. What we mean by introversion is not shyness or timidness, but rather the capacity to detach from the inner and outer storms and to connect with deep inner truths and resources. Introverts live much more out of their centers than other people do. The magician energy is aiding the formation of the ego self access, is immovable in its stability, centeredness, and emotional detachment. It is not easily pushed and pulled around. The magician often comes online in crisis. It can come online as that intuitive voice that arises at just the right time. This is a sudden access of the magician energy, an energy whose detached knowledge of various possible outcomes and understanding of lines of force can help make the best of a bad situation. Often in difficult situations, people are drawn into some kind of space and time frame that can be called sacred because it is so different than the space and time we normally experience. This sacred space is something men who are guided by the magician know well. These men may put themselves into that sacred space deliberately, much like ritual magicians who draw their magic circles and recite their incantations. They enter this space by listening to certain musical pieces, by tending to a hobby, by taking long walks in the woods, by meditating on certain themes and mental pictures, and by many other methods, including mantras. When they enter the sacred space within, they can be in touch with the magician. They can emerge from the inner space, seeing what they need to do about a problem and knowing how to do it. We believe that the many ways in which the magician has appeared in history and in which he appears among men today are mere fragments of a once whole image. The primordial magician in men has manifested itself most fully in what is known as the shaman. The shaman in traditional societies was the healer, the one who restored life, who found lost souls, and who discovered the hidden causes of misfortune. He was the one who restored wholeness and fullness of being to both individuals and communities. Indeed, the magician energy today has the same ultimate aim. The magician and the shaman, in his fullest human vessel, aims at the fullness of beings for all things through the compassionate application of knowledge and technology, said the fourth heavenly king. And so I understand that the magician carries great power, but like all the four aspects, there must be a lower nature as well. Can you explain the active and passive poles where the lowest aspects of the bad magician would dwell? Of course. But before we examine the two poles, the manipulator and the denying innocent one, we must look out at our entire age. And there we consider the planet's major problems looming about. Toxic wastes poisoning the earth, the ozone layers open, the oceans throw back our trash as wildlife perishes. Many species are on the edge of extinction, and many forests are being cut down. In essence, these are aspects of the shadow magician. Now this may be the result of a good magician rising against the bad, but there we look and find the result of World War II and the death camps and the doomsday weapons. These bad magicians run propaganda ministries, control press briefings, censor the news, 
and artificially orchestrate political lies and riots which are the face of the magician as manipulator. The active pull of the shadow magician is a powerful aspect. A man under this doesn't guide others as the magician does. He directs them in ways they cannot see. His interest is not in initiating others by graduated degrees that they can handle and integrate into better, happier, and more fulfilled lives. Rather, the manipulator maneuvers people by withholding from them information they need for their own well-being. He charges very heavily for the little information he does give, which is usually just enough to demonstrate his superiority and his great learning or intellect. The shadow magician is not only detached, he is also cruel. Regrettably, a good example of this can be found in graduate schools. A number of graduate students who are bright, gifted, and hardworking have seen experiences of the shadow magician in their professors. This would be the case of selfishly profiting off the graduate students or bullying others rather than uplifting them or speaking to them kindly and helping them grow through difficult lessons. Rather than accessing the magician appropriately and serving as guides for these young people's initiation into the esoteric realm of advanced studies, these shadow magicians habitually attack their students seeking to crush their enthusiasm. Unfortunately, this scenario is repeated all too frequently in education institutions on all levels, from kindergarten to medical school, from high school to trade school. Many men involved in modern medicine demonstrate the power of the magician's shadow too. It is well known that the best money in medicine is made by the specialist, who is an initiate into rarefied fields of knowledge. There are, no doubt, many medical specialists who are genuinely interested in their patients' well-being. But many of these men will not tell their patients important details about what is wrong with them. In the field of oncology, doctors routinely withhold vital information that would allow their patients to prepare themselves and their families for the treatment ordeal to come, as well as for the possibility of death. Furthermore, the soaring costs of medicine especially of exotic equipment and procedures, testify to the greed not only for power but also for material wealth that men possessed by the manipulator fall victim to. These men are using their secret knowledge for their own purposes first and only secondarily, if at all, for the benefit of others. Beyond doctors, if we look into the industries of engineering and automation, there are manipulators disguised in fine suits seen selling more and more systems to produce automated machinery that cuts down forests endlessly. One day, these industrial salesmen are taking their customers to strip clubs to sign multi-million dollar deals, where they influence key stakeholders of brands within big pharma, oil, auto, or chemical companies. Then the next day, these same salespeople are selling complex systems to find more innovative ways to mass kill chickens, cows, and pigs without mercy. Technology is a gift given to humans, but when money is the main motivation, the ego quickly abuses this sacred technology. As much as automation has helped our world, the cruelty of this automation is equally out of balance. We have more than half the world starving for food, and yet a privileged group benefit greatly from these automation systems. A true magician's goal would be to feed the world an automation is the heartbeat, but a shadow magician 
would seek more profit, more growth, by selling these devices with little concern for the planet while slaughtering helpless animals. These manipulators come in the form of greedy executives and salesmen and women who will do anything to make more money and commission without regard for the devastating effects of the technology, without regard for the devastating effects that this technology is imprinting upon the land. Of course, a wise and bright magician would do anything to slow this process down, but the industry churns away for more profit, more sales, more growth, more outcomes, more, 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 and more. The technology grows so specialized and advanced that few people know what is happening behind the scenes, and here automation can create automated bullet manufacturing machines without concern for where these bullets are going or to who they may end up killing. Businessmen and women can be master manipulators, and so it is seen in scams, realtors, and selfish stockbrokers ripping off clients. Then there is the growing complexity of law and the coded language of legal proceedings and documents, whatever else they may be intended for. These in the legal profession have access to hidden knowledge that can make or break you, not to mention the outrageous fee for their service, which they string you along and bill you hours upon hours that may be based on total lies. Too often in the consulting room, a therapist will withhold information that the client needs in order to get better. After all, a healed patient is no longer a client, and so, in the best interest of a physician, doctor, or therapist, after all, a healed patient is no longer a client, and so it's in the best interest of a physician, doctor, or therapist to get a client hooked on pills and medicine that keeps them returning for more visits, more medicine, so the bills pile up. Here they are keepers of knowledge that is stored for a hefty price. Healthcare has become beyond outrageous for the fact that it is rarely concerned with actual health, and so it could be called sick care. Doctors have become drug dealers, prescribing medicine such as Xanax, Oxycontin, Benzos, opioids, stimulants, steroids, and even legal meth called Adderall. Meanwhile, plant-based medicine that has proven results in depression, PTSD, and anxiety, such as cannabis, magical mushrooms, and LSD, is illegal? The shadow magician has created an industry to ban the medicines that promote actual wellness while they get you hooked on the moneymaker drugs that keep you addicted. The withholding and secretiveness for the purpose of self-importance can also be seen on Madison Ave and Wall Street. The whole sales manipulation of the public psyche by advertisers to feed the greed and status-seeking companies they work for, even to the point of outright lying, displays a cynical detachment from the realm of genuine relatedness that is every bit as destructive and self-serving as anything done by the propaganda ministries of totalitarian governments. Through their skillful use of images and symbols that appeal to the wounds of their fellow human beings, these charlatans secretly stuff money in the pockets of politicians so that the NRA and tobacco companies can keep the majority of the world buying their products, even if it means death and causing cancerous diseases, anything for profit. And so these marketing agencies and politicians have sold their souls into the darkest magic. The man under the power of the manipulator not only hurts others with a cynical detachment from the world of human values 
and his subliminal technologies of manipulation, he also hurts himself. This is the man who stands back and never lives life. Maybe one who only plays video games or is addicted to TV and movies. Rather than leap into the battle of life, he can only sit and distract himself from reality. The years pass, and he wonders where the time has gone, and he ends by regretting a life of sterility. He is a voyeur into armchair adventures. In the world of academia, he is a hair splitter. In his fear of making the wrong decision, he makes none. In his fear of living, he also cannot participate in the joy and pleasure that other people experienced in their lives. God forbid this boy or man was abused and decides to take up a gun and shoot his fellow man, which happens all too often in America, as it is now known that there are more guns than people. If he is withholding from people and not sharing what he knows, he will eventually feel isolated and lonely, to the extent that he has hurt others with his knowledge and his technology, and by cutting himself off from living relatedness with other human beings, he has cut off his own soul. Then there is the man who loves to read and believes himself to be superior to his fellow human beings. He has rebuffed others' attempts to get to know him and to get him to share his considerable knowledge. Even if he was the last man upon the earth, rather than be devastated, he could be elated. Whenever we are detached, unrelated, and withholding when what we know could help others, whenever we use our knowledge as a weapon to belittle and control others or to bolster our own status or wealth at the expense of others, we are identified with the bipolar shadow magician as the manipulator. We are doing black magic by only thinking about ourselves, our wealth, our worth, our status, our fancy suits, and are damaging ourselves as well as the world who could benefit from true wisdom. On the other hand, the passive pole of the magician's lower aspect is what we are calling the naive or the innocent one. The innocent one is a carryover from childhood into adulthood of the passive pole of the precocious child's shadow, which is the dummy. The man possessed by the innocent one wants the power and status that traditionally comes to the man who is a magician, at least in the societal sanctioned fields, but he doesn't want to take the responsibilities that belong to a true magician. He does not want to share and to teach. He does not want the task of helping others in the careful, step-by-step -step way that is a necessary part of every initiation. He does not want to be a steward of sacred space. He doesn't want to know himself, and he certainly doesn't want to make the great effort necessary to become skilled at containing and channeling power in the constructive ways. He wants to learn just enough to derail those who are making worthwhile efforts. While he is protesting the innocence of his hidden power motives, the man possessed by the innocent one, too good to make any real efforts himself, blocks others and seeks their downfalls. Whereas the trickster plays his tricks in part for the sake of revealing the truth, the innocent one hides the truth for the sake of achieving and maintaining his own precarious status. While the trickster aims at the necessary deflation of our grandiosity, the bipolar shadow magician as both the manipulator and the innocent one, works at deflating us when such deflation is not only unnecessary, but harmful as well. The innocent one's underlying motivations come from envy of those who act, who live, who want to share. Because the man possessed by the innocent one is envious of life, 
He is also afraid that people will discover his lack of life energy and throw him off his very wobbly pedestal. His detachment and his impressive behavior, his deflating remarks, his hostility towards questions, even his accumulated expertise are all designed to cover his real inner desolation and hide his actual lifelessness and irresponsibility from the world. A man possessed by the innocent one commits both sins of commission and sins of omission, but hides his hostile motives behind an impenetrable wall of feigned naivety. Such men are slippery and elusive. They do not allow us to engage them friendly with their protector energy. They parry our attempts to confront them, thus by keeping us off balance, seducing us into an endless process of questioning our own intuitions about their behavior. If we challenge their innocence, they will often react with a show of tear-jerking bewilderment and lead us into a stew of our own juices. We may even feel ashamed of ourselves for having attributed base motives to them and conclude that we must be paranoid, but we will not be able to escape the uneasy feeling that we have been manipulated, and in that feeling, we will have detected the active pole of the magician's shadow behind the smokescreen of innocence," said the fourth heavenly king. I hate to admit it, but the world's order is full of these bad and terrible magicians, not to mention the adulteresses, porn stars, and OnlyFans models who sell out the values of what it means to be human. The world has become quite brutal, and that's why a force emerges every couple thousand years. But here I found you, the man who emerged from the death of a boy. You have accessed the magician, and if we are possessed by the manipulator, we will be in the grip of the magician's shadow. If we feel that we are out of touch with the magician in his fullness, we will be caught in the dishonest and the denying passive pull of the shadow. In this case, we will not have much sense of our own inner structure, of our own calmness and clear-headedness. We won't have a sense of inner security, and we won't feel that we can trust our thinking processes. We won't be able to detach from our emotions and our problems. We're likely to experience inner chaos and to be vulnerable to outside pressures that will push and pull us in many different directions. We're likely to experience inner chaos and to be vulnerable to outside pressures that will push and pull us in many different directions. We will act in a passive-aggressive way towards others, but claim to be innocent of any ill intentions. One of the hardest things to do as a counselor or therapist is to get clients to separate their egos from their emotions without at the same time repressing the emotions. There is a really good psychological exercise for doing this that can help. It's called focusing. We ask our client, when they sense the onset of a strong emotion, be it envy, anger, despair, and to sit down in an observation chair, and as the feelings come up, and imagine placing them in a stack in the middle of the room. Each one should be placed on the stack carefully, and we can sit back, watching the feeling, its color, its shape, and the nuances of its emotional tones. We ask our clients to watch their feelings, not judging them or putting them down, but rather observing them. There one might say, oh there you are again, that's what you look like. There might be these thoughts flying around in your head when we judge people and say what an asshole or these people suck. But instead of reacting to those thoughts, you just watch them like oh wow, that's the part of my brain that thinks people suck or that thinks people are assholes. Watch that, 
Wow, there it is. And now it's gone. And that practice can make us a much happier person. These are the feelings in the middle of the room where the ego can see them. They are not being repressed. Then when the force of these feelings has passed, we ask our clients to banish them. There are also such ritual practices as burning things we need to let go of. We can write down on paper something we need to let go of. Then after reflection and meditation, we place these thoughts which are written on paper into a burning bowl. We light them on fire and let them dissolve away. We release them. What this exercise does is help the client strengthen the connection with the magician energy. It is the magician that watches and thinks. It is the magician that enables the ego to place the feelings in an orderly stack. The emotional energies thus contained eventually lose their power. Finally, the strengthened ego may be able to take this raw emotion energy and transform it into useful and life-enhancing forms of self-expression. There is another exercise that helped the young man access his magician energy. This young man was terrorized almost nightly by dreams about tornadoes coming at him. The huge black funnel clouds would come right up to him as he cringed under a tree. He had no idea what this meant. During the course of this therapy, he came to realize that his unconscious through these tornado dreams was picturing his childhood rage to him. His parents had been alcoholics and he had been made responsible for running the household and taking care of them. Not only that, but he was sexually abused by his uncle. His childhood rage was enormous and it was now showing itself in all its ferocity in his dreams. These uncontainable storms rampaging through this young man's inner world were tearing up his professional and personal life as a man. He was deeply depressed. Because the young man was something of an artist, his therapist suggested to him that he draw a picture of the tornadoes. Then when he was able to draw a picture of the tornadoes in a lead shield container, so that his rage would just whirl around and around like the coil in an electric generator. Next, he was able to draw power lines and transformers coming out of the container and going to the street lights, the houses, and the factories, or whatever needed this energy. As soon as he did this, the young man's life began to change. He had found the strength to quit his job. He had always wanted to work in children's theater. Suddenly, almost out of the blue, job offers for this kind of work started coming in. The tremendous energy of his raw childhood rage, now contained and channeled into the lights and factories of his present life, acted as a power station for his new way of living. The once black magic of his wild and chaotic anger was now white magic of electricity illuminating his life. What the therapist had done by suggesting the drawing was to enable his client to draw up the magician in his fullness in order to contain and channel primal emotions. If we are accessing the magician appropriately, we will be adding to our professional and personal lives a dimension of clear-sightedness, of deep understanding, and reflection about ourselves and others, and technical skill in our outer work and in our inner handling of psychological forces. As we access the magician, we need to regulate this energy with the other three archetypes of the mature masculinity patterns. None of them, as we've suggested, works well alone. We need to mix the magician with the king's concern for productivity and generosity. The protector's ability 
to act decisively with courage and the lover's deep and convinced connectedness to all things. We will then be using our knowledge, our containment, and our channeling of energy flows for the human benefit and perhaps for enhancement of the whole planet, said the fourth heavenly king. And that boy who drew the pictures, I suppose it could work the same way with someone who is always caught in worries? And so I wonder if even a tortured poet could transform his entire world through a set of allegories and stories. That dragon winked. That, I think, is called the intuition's instinct. So what's next? It had been so dark for so long, and I had a feeling of what could come next. But I couldn't quite be sure, since the four guardians and their teachings seemed to have all control over who might be in trouble and who would be blessed. Now it's time for the spiritual sunrise, and that is how our world can heal. There is only one way to summon the morning star. It's time you finish turning the great medicine wheel, said the fourth heavenly king.